following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Welcome this evening. Glad to see you who are here. All right, Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 16 tonight. Jesus in this section is affirmed by God. You know, John the Baptist has come on the scene now. We've looked at this a couple of times. And John is announcing the coming of another, another whose shoes he's not even worthy to carry. And then suddenly, in verse number 13, Jesus comes from Galilee to John at the Jordan. Now, certainly there's much more of a backstory to this. We can look in uh, John's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel to see some more of that. But for Matthew's purposes, he just presents John as just bang, he's on the scene. And then Jesus follows him just shortly thereafter. And John is preparing his way, Jesus' way, by preaching a message of repentance. That's how, as we closed last time, and my notes in this section actually do close in my conclusion section, that is how actually we make or prepare our Lord room in our hearts. You know, let every heart prepare him room. Uh, Let earth receive her king. How How do we do that? We do that by repentance. We do that by receiving the gospel message. And so, but here, Jesus is baptized, and this is the opening um, moments of his public ministry. And as he is baptized, we said he fulfilled all righteousness. He was associated with John's message and John's people, including us down to this day. And then when he had been baptized, the Bible adds in Luke that he was praying So he was in prayer there at and after his baptism. And as that was happening, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now that is a very interesting story, not a story, it's history actually. I was reading a a prayer letter from uh, actually one of your friends, Andrew Taylor, remember? Uh, recently engaged to Kara, and uh, they showed a picture of them on uh, a mountain uh, with their, their, he's giving the ring and this light coming down from heaven, and he said, see, it's almost like a dove coming down from heaven. Well, it didn't look like that to me, but uh, to them, they're all, you know, just a flutter about their new uh, relationship, well, not new, but I mean the new step in their relationship is what I mean. So, uh, but it was a neat little picture which evoked this scene. Uh, the Spirit of God came down on Jesus. Did he have to come down in the form of a dove? No. Uh, did he have to be seen? No, except that elsewhere the scriptures tell us that John were, was to know that this is the one by the Spirit coming down and alighting upon him. Now, what happened here was a very rare kind of event uh, of heaven opening. I mean, how many times do you see the heavens open? I'm not talking about, you know, raining cats and dogs. That's the different kind of heaven. Uh, Stephen experienced this. Remember when he was about to die, he looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Paul experienced something like this. And I'm not even thinking of the road to Damascus. I guess you could say that's sort of like it, but it was just total brightness. He couldn't really see anything. So kind of don't count that case. But uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's actually caught up into heaven. Well, he doesn't know if he is or he isn't. Remember, he said in the body or out of the body, I don't really know. 
but I saw things that I, you know, were just amazing. The disciples also were going to see something of this kind of thing later on. Uh, you remember in John 1.51, Jesus uh, told the disciples that uh, after this you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And to me, I can't help but connect that back to Genesis 28.12 where Jacob was sleeping there in that place and he dreamed, and what did he dream? He dreamed of a stairway to heaven, basically, right? A, a ladder or something. And uh, angels of God were going up and going down on that. And he said, my, this is the house of God. This is Beth El, Beit El, the house of God, is what it was called ever after that point where he saw the gateway to heaven. I think Jesus is that gateway to heaven uh, for us and for any coming and going, as it were. Peter saw heaven opened. Later on in Acts 10, remember, he saw the sheet being let down, the animals on it. John saw heaven open. In fact, remember the voice he heard? Come up here, Revelation chapter 4, to see these things and to write them down. And Revelation 19 talks about heaven being opened and Jesus returning from there on a white horse. Ezekiel saw, in effect, the heavens opened. He saw the visions of God in Ezekiel 1 and and beyond all those very amazing sights that he saw. And it almost seems like Isaiah was seeing up into heaven as well in chapter 6 of his prophecy. Remember, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon a throne. His train filled the temple. It, does, it seems like it's more than an earthly scene, doesn't it? He's, he's seeing God on the throne of heaven. But those are the only ones that I could kind of come up with. There's still a number of them, eight or nine, but the, uh, the Bible does not open the doors of heaven for us all that often. Heaven opened and the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus, but not to indicate the first time that the Spirit ever interacted with Jesus, but to show that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit in a public way. And perhaps now with fresh power and glory, the Spirit of God descended and alighted upon him. Uh, now, I said a statement here. I just kind of whipped past it, but let me back up to it. This is not the first time that the Spirit of God interacted with the Son of God. That's almost a silly statement to us who believe in the preexistence of Christ because we know that in heaven, in eternity past, and all the way through the present and eternity future, the fellowship of the Trinity is perfect and undivided. But some people have suggested that Jesus as a man was adopted as a son of God and the Spirit of God came upon him at that time. That's all wrong doctrine. What we're seeing here is a, uh, a visible manifestation of what was already true in, in Jesus' life. I mean, it had to be the case. John the Baptist himself, the Bible says, was filled with what? The Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, from conception. From an argument of lesser to greater, we would say, well, if Jesus or if John the Baptist were filled with the Spirit, Jesus certainly was filled with the Spirit in his young years, right? We see evidence of that. I mean, amazing things that Jesus did at 12 years of age in the temple. Yeah, puts us to shame, doesn't it? As somebody in my 40s, 
I wish I could have been that smart when I was 12. <laughs> I wish I could be that smart now, in a way, you know, spiritually smart, I mean. Uh, Jesus, it says, grew in, in uh, favor with God and with men, Luke 2.52. That would not be possible without the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was active in the conception of Jesus. Remember, Gabriel told Mary, that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. So we have the Spirit active there at the beginning of Jesus' life. Beyond all of that, if you turn your Bibles back to Isaiah, I'd like to share with you a couple of portions of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah chapter 11 says these words. Verse uh, 2 well, I have to go back to verse 1. Isaiah 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord God shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. This is a prophecy of the Messiah, the servant, who would come filled with the Spirit of God. My Spirit will rest upon him. This is why the Spirit of God came in a visible form so that the people of Israel could see with their eyes, this is the one upon whom the Spirit is resting. He is the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 42 says this, verse number 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed, think of the gentleness of our Lord. He will not break. And a smoking flax, he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait for his law. This is our Jesus filled with the Spirit of God. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Isaiah 61. So we revisited Isaiah 11, Isaiah 42, and now Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach Good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, fulfilled in Jesus in his first coming, and in the second coming and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. That will be the second coming, not the first. But the Spirit of God is upon him. Isaiah 61. Uh, so we add to that the ministry of the Spirit with Jesus. You see Jesus offered himself through the eternal Spirit. Isaiah, or sorry, not Isaiah, I got Isaiah in my head. Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 9.14, he offered himself. Uh, we can just read that uh, quickly here. Hebrews chapter number 9. See if I can find it here, verse 14. How much more, it says, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
My point in all this is just to simply show from Scripture the connections of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, with the Holy Spirit, to show that this is not the first time, nor would it be the last in Matthew 3, when the Spirit of God was connected with the ministry of Christ. In fact, in John 15, Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to the disciples, so he's kind of the director, if you will, of that ministry. Now, uh, with all of that, let's just... I kind of want you to leave it in your mind as this, that the Spirit of God is manifested upon Jesus. He already was there, but now he's publicly demonstrated or shown to be there. Kind of leave it at that level. Um, And I say that because some people will say, well, what about the dove? Uh, The dove figure, as I understand it, does not have a tie to anything from the prophets or the writings of the Old Testament Scripture. Now, some will say, well, what about the dove in Genesis 8 that was sent out from the ark? I just think it's a dove. I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, that would be a very indirect and, I think, suspect connection to, to connect those two things together. I've, I've said before things like, you know, one parable has birds that represent the evil one, taking away the seed, you know, in the soils. Don't make birds be the evil one in every other parable, please. That's illegitimate hermeneutics, illegitimate method of interpretation. So we don't want to you know, go around and hunting up all the doves in the Bible and uh, figuring out how they connect to this. It's just a, a, a peaceful, calm, beautiful figure for the Holy Spirit to come upon the Lord and show he is resting upon Jesus. Now, Luke, I said before, was tell, told us that Jesus was praying and heaven opened, the dove descended. The dove was the identifying mark that John knew this is the guy, this is the one, that he was the Messiah. Now, John, of course, you might remember, had some struggles later on. Uh, he was thrown in prison, and he probably languished there for some weeks, months, I don't know how long. It wasn't years because, you know, he was put in prison in the midst of Jesus' public ministry, and that was only three and a half years long total that we know of. So it was, but it was, it was some time. And, and he began to wonder, is this Jesus actually the one? You know, he was so beaten down by being in confinement that he lost his, he lost his confidence, I guess you could say. I don't know that you could say he lost his faith, but he lost his confidence. He just lost his vim and vigor. He was just lost. He was just in darkness. And he said, you know, are you the one? He sent disciples to ask. But by this, he knew that Jesus was the one. And he just did have to recall back in his mind those early days when the Messiah came by and he saw the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. Look at verse 17. While all this was happening, suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father indicates his pleasure with Jesus in these words, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen, nothing else in the world, before then, then, or after then, could be said to be as well-pleasing to God as Jesus. He was perfect. Not a flaw, not a sin, not a shortcoming. 
Maybe you could say except for Genesis 131, in which after the creative week, God said, Behold, this is very good. This is exceedingly tov, ma'od, very good. And he said that then, but he could not say it again until just now when he looked upon his son and he saw utter perfection. Jesus was very good and perfectly pleasing to the Father because he was without sin. And so there was no sin like in Isaiah 59 verse 7 where it says your sin has separated you from your God. There was no separation between God and his son. He was even more perfect than Enoch who walked with God. You better walk with God, young man. Yeah, I knew that would get his attention. All right, very well. So he was without sin and unmarred. And you know, for myself, I I hope for you as well, um, one of your great goals in life is to hear God say something like, well done, good and faithful servant, you have done well. We haven't done that well, not at all that well. But God, please help us to not falter, not fail, not be a fraud, not be a wolf in sheep's clothing, but to receive his well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you master over many in accordance with the parables of the of the talents and so on in Luke 19 and Matthew chapter 25. May we receive something of that kind of commendation as well. Now, the Trinity is very clear here in this passage. You have the Father speaking, you have the Son being baptized, you have the Spirit descending. Very, very clear. You can find the the Trinity in Isaiah. You can find Him implicitly in Genesis in the creation week. You can find Him in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, you can find him in the Great Commission formula, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's crystal clear. You see that they are equally worthy of worship. They're equally deity. They're equally powerful. They're equally omnipotent, omniscient, uh, benevolent, wise, powerful, all that. Um, Very clear in Scripture, the Trinity. One of the texts in the scriptures is right here where the three of them are found in one or two verses side by side. Now, um, this statement by the Lord, by God the Father of Jesus, is in fact a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, don't turn back there because um, we were already there, and you'll remember when I read it. Isaiah 42.1 said this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. That's the idea. This is, this is a fulfillment of the very prophecies that were made about the Messiah. And if you think of uh, Matthew uh, twelve eighteen, it says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. That's a quotation of that. This is a fulfillment of the servant prophecies in uh, Isaiah. Some months later, Jesus would receive a similar commendation from the Father, but this time on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, the three closest disciples are with the Lord, and they see the cloud overshadow them. They see Moses, they see Elijah, and then they hear a voice from heaven. And that voice tells them, 
this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then what does it say? Hear him. Hear him. Yeah. Time to uh, not ignore, not deprecate, but to set aside Moses. It's time to hear the Messiah now. He's the last and great revelation of God to man. Time to hear him. Mount of Transfiguration. This connects Jesus to the servant prophecies of Isaiah and begins to show the people how he would become the offering for their sins in Isaiah 53. I think the the declaration that God made here is a clue or a connection, rather, to Jesus fulfilling all righteousness. I would think that they're connected because the declaration comes right on the heels of that great fulfilling of righteousness event. Jesus obeyed the righteous requirement to become associated with John's message and associate himself with penitent sinners, and this was pleasing to the Father. Jesus is going to go on then in chapter 4 and following to demonstrate that indeed he is well-pleasing as the Son of God, and he will do so by the fruit of his actions. Uh, He doesn't need to bear fruit of repentance, but he's going to show by his fruit that he is the Son of God and that he had no need of repentance. And so as I close tonight, I just say in this way, Matthew describes the introduction of John and of Jesus and of their message to the Jewish people and in turn to the world. So what's the point? Well, first of all, we said Jesus identified with John with John's message, with John's people, with us. And we, therefore, identify with him through repentance, preparing in our hearts room for him by making uh, the, the uh, high places low, the low places high, the crooked places straight by repentance. Also, with God's declaration at the baptism, we know that Jesus is well-pleasing to the Father. Now get this. Jesus is well-pleasing to the Father. You, as a believer, are in Jesus. What does that mean for you? We, too, are graced with salvation in the beloved Son and are accepted before God, Ephesians 1.6. Think for a while on this idea that you a sinful person, are accepted by God because you are in Christ. Because of Christ's sacrificial work on your behalf, because of God's love and grace, because of God's mercy, you are in Him and He is well-pleasing to God, which uh, I guess, what's that mathematical relationship if A is greater than B and B is greater than C? If A is, if, if Jesus is, is pleasing to the Father, and you're in Jesus, and what does that mean? You are pleasing to the Father as well, not by anything you have done, but by everything that Jesus has done. Finally, historically, John's baptism of Jesus is the inauguration publicly of Christ Jesus in his ministry, and that by which we know that God is well-pleased with him. By his declaration, we also know that Jesus is the Son of God. I didn't actually touch that until just now. But notice that. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Okay? So, anybody who says God has no son has to contend with God himself who said, this is my beloved son. 
I'm sorry to have to say that, but that's, that's the reality. God himself has said, this is my beloved son. Jesus truly is the son of the Father, according to 2 John 3 and this passage here tonight. So John is introduced to us. Jesus is introduced to us. And Matthew does a masterful job to tie these two together with this baptism and, uh, and show us their message, which we'll see more about in Matthew chapter 4 when we get into the temptation and beyond in Jesus' preaching ministry. Until then, uh, just uh, hold that thought. We'll be back to Matthew uh, in due course, perhaps in a week or so. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to make this journey thus far through Matthew chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and to see these interesting and marvelous truths. And Lord, thank you especially that our Savior is well-pleasing to you, and this means that we can have salvation because he is the perfect lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, and in him we can be also accepted in the beloved. Lord, would you please bless your people, keep them from sin, keep their consciences clean, for there is no joy greater than having a pure conscience, and help us, each one, us, all of us, me and we, to walk in the light even as you are in the light. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sin. And Lord, those that are watching online now or in the future, please bless them as well and help them through any trials and difficulties in which they find themselves by turning their thoughts and attention to you and asking, what would God have me to do? How would God have me to interact with him and, and uh, with this truth about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, upon whom the Spirit dwelt in fullness. And Lord, may the Spirit of God dwell in fullness too as much as possible on us and on those watching tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we bless uh, you, give you uh, that name which is above every name, send you off with that name in your heart and mind and, and uh, do remember him, walk with him. Trust you'll be encouraged, uh, perhaps some Good things have happened in your life. Perhaps some discouraging things have happened, but God's with you and will keep you. Amen? All right, good night.